Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to More Than Miles, a podcast created to look deep into what it means to be a runner and endurance athlete. Our episodes are filled with real stories from real runners, elite to the everyday athlete. We bring together healthcare providers, athletes, and dive deep into topics that matter most to runners. I'm Dr. Kate Mihivik-Edwards, physical therapist, author, athlete, and complete coffee addict. And I'm Dr. Casey Sinders, physical therapist, athlete, and pun expert extraordinaire. We are so passionate about changing running culture to improve the health, wellness, and fulfillment of our endurance athlete community. And we hope that these conversations inspire you to focus on putting your health first so that performance and PRs can follow. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to More Than Miles. Dr. Kate and Dr. Casey here, in case you forgot who we are. Uh, We did take a little bit of an extended break at the end of 2022. Life got a little crazy for both Kate and I. And so this went a little bit on the back burner, but it is on the front hottest burner for 2023. We are organized. We are excited. We have so many great guests lined up for you guys. I'm really excited. How are you feeling about this season, Kate? I'm so excited because we have so many really cool guests lined up and we've got a lot of guests lined up, I think for the whole season already, which we are organized people, but we have never come into a season this organized. It's probably because we are um, now podcast experts. Yes. Uh, so this is like our first podcasting day of 2023. And I have to say, we've been nailing everything, everything from our first interview of the season to re-recording our intro and outro. We're just getting really good at this. And I'd like to give ourselves a pat on the back. Okay. I'm doing it right now. I'm, I'm taking yep. one for the team yep. right here. There we go. There we um, go. Yeah. And the February has been two years of more than miles, which it just makes my heart swell because I love this project so much. And the fact that it just keeps getting better and better and we've been doing it for two years. It's just, oh, it's great. I know. I can't even believe it's been two years. We decided one day and it really was only a month or two later that we actually started the podcast. You were like in one of your reviews, you're like, I'd really like to start a podcast. I'm like, cool, let's do it. (laughs) And here we are two years later. And if we look back on the seasons that we've had, we have had a lot of really great guests, a lot of really cool discussions and stories. And so I'm glad we're here. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been so, so fun. Well, for our first episode for the year, we have a doozy. That's how I'm going to say it's a doozy. Yeah. I have asked Casey if I could interview her about her last marathon, which You all know that Casey trains so hard for all of her marathons. She does everything she possibly can to stay healthy. She is always at the gym, always doing strength training. She thinks about what she's eating and her sleep and everything that you could possibly think about. So all of the things that we talk about to make a healthy athlete, that's what she does. And I'm so proud of her for just how she looks at training and how she tries to integrate it into her life. So I wanted to talk to her about her marathon because while every marathon is a lot of work, not every marathon goes the way that we plan. 
one of the things that I like to say about the marathon is no matter how many times you've done it, you have to respect the distance. You can put in a year's worth of work and that one day, one thing could go wrong and it's not what you expected. So we're just going to kind of jump right in. And I'd like to start out with saying like, Casey, I think you're amazing, no matter what the numbers say. And I would also like to point out the numbers are pretty freaking awesome, even though they're not what you believe they should be. Yeah. Thanks, Kate. I really appreciate that. Um, It is so easy to get stuck on the numbers and get stuck on our goals. I'm really actually grateful for this podcast because I have processed through this a lot, but I'm really excited to kind of put a nice bow. Well, may not be a nice bow, but put a bow on this sort of chapter this month or so of my life where I've had to kind of figure out what happened right at the, at CIM. And I'm just excited to keep working through it. Um, And I think it's all going to work out for the best. And one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is because I do think it's something that we need to talk about. You and I talk about the importance of mental health all of the time and how uh, no matter who you are, we somehow figure out or taught from a young age that we have to put this enormous pressure on ourselves. Even if nobody else puts pressure on ourselves, we do it and we do it internally. And when there's that much pressure and that much weight, it's hard to see anything else. And it's hard to get out from under it sometimes. And so will you talk to us a little bit about what your expectations were going into CIM and then how that pressure was building as you trained for the race and before you even got there? Yeah. So in in thinking of where I wanted to start, I was saying, well, okay, Casey, you have to talk about that week leading up to the race because that was just on another level of anxiety. But when I was really thinking about it earlier today, a lot of this started in 2021. So I ran CIM that year as well. Um, and 2021 was this magical year for me. I had been so injury riddled and I hadn't ran a PR in like six or seven years, which I was okay with. I, I love training and racing, but I mean, to have something to show for it, to run PRs is really, really fun. And I hadn't done it in a long time. And I sort of thought that maybe that ship had sailed um, and that you know, maybe my best times were behind me, which is, which is okay. But I was kind of at that point of acceptance, um, up until starting to work with a coach in uh, late 2020 and us working together had really, really changed how I looked at my training and I was doing things a lot, uh, better, smarter for me. I don't need motivation. I need someone to pull me back. Um, so she, that for me. And so 2021 just went so, so well, I ran a 10 K PR at Peachtree. And then everything just really aligned. I had a really healthy training cycle for CIM in December. And I just ran this time that I just blew my expectations out of the water. I was really doubtful that I could break 310 and I ran 306 and it felt easy. It was one of the easiest marathons I've ever run. Um, It really didn't hurt until the last three miles, which is just, you just know that you doled out your energy the right way when that's the case. And so it's just one of those days where everything goes right and, um, you know, I think if you do this for any amount of time, you, you know that those days are unicorns and you just have to cherish them. You can't force them. You can't wish them to happen again for you. You just have to appreciate them for what they are. And and I think I did that. But the thing is, is I think it really raised my expectations for myself. I started to look at myself as a runner who could improve again. And I dreamed about my sub three goal again, um, which I'd had uh, since 2015, I kind of planted that seed in my my mind and I'd kind of let it go. 
but then I ran 306 last year and I was so close and I'm like, that's just six minutes. I can do that. Or I think I can at least try to do that. So I kind of had this in my mind um, and it was kind of that next logical stepping stone. Um, I think as runners, we have these barrier times in mind and uh, three hours is one of those big ones for women or men too. Men is a big Boston qualifying time. So I think three hours is like a big marathon barrier for a lot of folks. Um, and so it seemed kind of like my next logical goal. I knew going into the the training cycle this year that it was very possible I get stuck on that. I, I knew like, it's, it's like, I really knew <laughs> that what happened and the outcome at CIM was a possibility because I thought I would put so much pressure on the time. And I really, really tried to get around that and try to form strategies and habits so that I was focusing on putting in the work and the training cycle and not worrying about paces and my watch and all of these things. My coach and I talked about it. Like we're not chasing a time. We're chasing a feeling, chase that feeling, not that result. And we talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And it was still really hard for me to shake. What were some of the strategies that you were trying to use to take that pressure away? You said it didn't really work, but what were some of those strategies? Because even if they didn't necessarily work fully for you, they probably helped in some way, shape or form, or maybe they could help somebody else. Again, I was trying not to pay attention too much to my watch and just go, cause you know, I've done, this was my 10th marathon. And so I've done a lot of marathons and I know what marathon effort feels like. And, you know, it's going to be faster or slower depending on your fitness level, but I am pretty dialed into what that feels like. So I tried to focus on that, um, more than looking at my watch and getting stuck on that that 650-ish, 652, I think exactly is a, a breaking three hours. And because previously I had like 650 like written on my mirror so that I saw it and I desensitized myself because I was like, gosh, that seems like an impossible pace to hold for 26.2 miles. And so I was trying just to like wrap my brain around it, which was an, an interesting strategy. It was one strategy. Um, but for me, I had to sort of dissociate from from the paces and so just focusing on on feeling and focusing on, you know, taking it day by day, enjoying the process, which I did. So that's the thing. Like, I, I really enjoyed the process of the training cycle, um, which, as we've alluded to, sometimes it leads to your results and sometimes it doesn't. I did really enjoy the training process. And so one bad day versus, you know, three months of really enjoying it day in and day out, I guess, is a decent trade. I think it is if you can get there. That just like you said, I mean, the marathon is one day. And we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we do tell ourselves, okay, this is going to be the day I meet my goal, whether it's qualifying for Boston Marathon, whether it's breaking five hours, four hours, three hours, whatever it is. And then if you don't do it, there's disappointment. I mean, I've been there. I remember early on before I qualified for Boston, I would run a race and I passed out in a few, which we've talked about before. And I was mad at myself for that. Like I thought, well, you're a shitty runner because you're passing out in a race and obviously you don't know what you're doing, but it's the same thing. I mean, maybe it sounds worse because I was passing out, but it's not. I mean, we just, we put these goals and expectations on ourselves and then we also take whatever situation and make it, you know, reform it. So we're, we're the bad guy and it's, it's something we've done wrong. Right. And it, it leads to this over analysis you know, if you were to ask me, and I think my therapist did ask me this, who do you think would think about you differently with this result? List out the people in your life you think who would think about you differently. And I started to think and put together a list and I was like, wait a minute, nobody. 
Exactly. <laughs> Nobody would think about me differently. And so when we think about this pressure, which I think some of it does feel external, you know, a lot of it's just, it's just internal. It's just unnecessary pressure we put on ourselves. And the time isn't what bothered me as much as what actually happened on that day and how I just sort of mentally imploded. Talk to us then about the week before the race, because you alluded earlier that that's where you think everything started was the week before the race. So tell us what happened the week before the race that really impacted you in your mind. Yeah. So, uh, leading up to CIM, I was like super excited again. I was really enjoying the training. I felt like my body was in a good spot. It didn't feel overtrained and I was really excited about it. Just genuinely really excited to go and race. And the calendar flipped over to race week and I started feeling so anxious, nauseous, like couldn't focus. Like I just felt like on a very subconscious level, really anxious and I felt it that Monday, but Monday was just a regular run. I ran like six or seven miles, something like that. And I just was like, gosh, I feel like my mind's racing, things like that. But then Tuesday, I had this little uh, tune-up workout and I did two miles at marathon pace and then went to go do just some 400s just to get the legs turning over. And the two miles went fine. I felt fine. It wasn't like, I was like, oh my God, that's so hard. How am I going to run that this weekend? It wasn't like that. It felt fine. But I get up, um, I did this at Piedmont Park and I get up to the active oval to start my 400s. And all of a sudden I just feel my throat just start to fill. <laughs> and I had like my hands on my knees. I'm like staring at the floor. I could still like just visualize it in my mind. Cause it's like really dark. I'm trying to do this before work. Cause I had shifted my days and the moon is like shining on me. And I'm like, what is happening <laughs> to me right now? And so, uh, like any runner, I ran the 400s as fast as I possibly could just to drown out whatever I was feeling at the time. And I, you know, got through my 400s and I was like, oh my gosh, something is wrong. Like I need to do something about this. Cause this is, this is crazy. And so I didn't sleep much at Tuesday or Wednesday night. I was having a really hard time falling, falling asleep. Um, again, like I couldn't really tell you besides like fear of failure, I can't really tell you what was going through mm-hmm. my mind. Um, I was just like, it's here. Like my body seems ready now. My, my, like everything's just got to come together. So a lot of it felt so subconscious. I felt like my body was like doing its own thing. <laughs> and, um, that was worrying. I was like, I don't feel in control. I don't feel like I can do anything about this. It wasn't until Thursday where I was like, okay, talk to your friends, like talk this out, you know, go for walks. I thought about meditating and I did it. What would Kate say? She would tell me to meditate <laughs> or deep. No, breathe. I'm just going to walk Ollie instead <laughs> <laughs> or deep breathe or talk to your coach. Did you talk to your coach? I did talk to my coach and she was great. Um, you know, we talked through everything. Also, hi, Caitlin. Thank you. If you're listening, um, I love you. Um, we're going to talk a lot about things that we've talked about here. So we did. And she was great at talking me off the ledge. Cause I talked through everything. I was like, okay, like I've never run, I haven't run sub 90 minutes and a half since college. And I just don't have a result to show. And what happens at Peachtree happens again, which is actually ironic. Cause that is what happened at the race. I was like already afraid of recurring this kind of like mental struggle in the middle of the race. Cause I knew it was going to get hard. I knew it was going to require the stars to align and for me to be really, really tough on that day. So I was like really worried about that. Um, I knew there was this fine line. And so, yeah, we, we talked through that and we talked through, you know, just trying to have fun out there, like smile, give high fives. Like that, that's the, the sentence of death 
that you said that, but like every time someone says to me, just have fun, I'm like, really? Did you, (laughs) do you have any response to that? Do you feel like that's something that happens to you or no? Do you really think, okay, I can have fun out there? I thought about this a lot. My idea of fun, like if I were to like go out and have a race and if for it to be fun, I would race at like 85 to 90%. That would be fun because I would feel, I would feel good. I would feel like I pushed myself. I would be aware enough to pay attention to my surroundings, but 85 to 90% doesn't get you PRs. No, my first Boston, I told my friend that I qualified with, she said, let's just go out and have fun. And I was like, what do you mean exactly? (laughs) (laughs) And she said, um, well, you know, let's like stop and talk to people and high five and all this stuff. And so I did that Mm. my first Boston marathon and I was disappointed. Like it was really fun. It actually was fun. I even stopped and like hung out with a friend for a while. She worked on my IT band because it was sore, right? So it was like a full on fun marathon. But then at the end, I was so mad that it was so slow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I never really was able to run a fun marathon again. I do think it can be done. You know, watching uh, the world's World Athletic Championships marathon last year, Sarah Hall was having such a good time. And she's <laughs> one of the most serious, focused racers, I think, mm. out of anyone I, I watch currently. And she was like waving to the crowd. She was smiling. And she had a great race. Um, she had an amazing race. I think it's possible, but the the thing is, is to be able to ride this line between effort and really enjoying the effort and also enjoying the experience. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's, that's like the sweet spot that we should all strive for when we're out there, but it's very, very hard, especially if you're someone that gets in your head a lot or has negative self-talk or puts so much pressure on themselves. Oh yeah. That's, that's not me at all. Mm-mm. No, that doesn't do that. sound like you at all. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. All right. So you go into the race and you're already not in a great spot mentally, emotionally, and now even a little bit physically because you're almost throwing up all the time. And so you go into the race, you get to California, you're there. What's happening now? I get to the airport Oh, right. to fly to California and I'm sitting there with my suitcase and everything. And I just want to leave. I don't even want to get on the plane. I'm so nervous. I don't even want to try because I'm afraid of failing. And I'm just like sitting there at the gate and I'm like trying to talk myself through this. And so finally, what gives me the courage to get on the plane? I said, Casey, if you really just want to cheer and hang out with Caitlin and cheer on the other athletes, that's fine. You have the permission to do that. That's okay. And so I get on the plane. And uh, I numbed myself out with two straight Harry Potter movies on the plane. So I didn't think about anything. (laughs) And then I get to California and I have to drive from San Francisco to Sacramento, which is roughly a two hour drive. It took a little bit longer because of traffic. And believe it or not, because I couldn't distract myself, I was just driving. All I could do was listen to Taylor Swift on repeat. And (laughs) do you know all the words just like Gandhi? Probably at this point, <laughs> I'm like on a serious kick right now. I felt pretty good actually once I got to Sacramento. That was the best I'd felt all week. I was like, okay, it's here. You know, just trying to tell myself all the things of just you know, do your best, go out there and give it all you got, and that's all you can really do is ask of yourself to to you know do your best and to give it all you got. And so I, I felt pretty good at that point. Are you looking to grow your business and stay resilient? Look no further than FM Global. 
With over 180 years of scientific research and engineering expertise, we bring innovative solutions to ensure your commercial property today so you can prosper tomorrow. Okay. And so you felt good. You met up with uh, people that were also coached by Caitlin, right? And what's, mm-hmm. what's Caitlin, your coach's, the name of her coaching company? Because I love it. And I can... Uh, I, it's uh, Running Joyfully. That's right. So um, I always call it like joy running or something awful. So yeah, running joy, <laughs> running so, joyfully does sound better than joy running. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I know it's true, but I always see the joy and, you know, I love that it's running joyfully. That's great. Okay. So she's now you meet up with everybody and you get yourself ready. And I assume you at least enjoyed that piece of it, meeting everybody. It seemed like you did. Yeah. Saturday was, was so fun. Uh, we went for a shakeout run and had lunch and, um, yeah, finally got to meet a bunch of athletes that I'd only kind of sort of met on zoom. We have like monthly zoom calls. So I really, really enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. I got to run with Caitlin for a little bit. She shook out with us. And so that was cool. Caitlin's someone I really, really look up to. So to get to spend any time with her is like golden for me. I got so many calls and texts. Like my phone was blowing up more than I think it's had in my entire life. I either cried on the phone or after I hung up with most people, just like happy tears. Like I felt so loved and supported just in a way I don't think I I have for any single event before, which is kind of funny to say, but it just seemed to be one of those days where I stopped and smelled the flowers and I'm like, wow, I'm really, really loved right now. And so that was, that was awesome. So, I mean, Saturday I felt it was great. Like I thought I was set up for everything was okay. We put all that behind us. I think I'm ready to go and have a good race. Okay. And then you raced. Yep. It was uh, a little bit damp. Like it was raining as we were waiting to get onto the buses. Cause you have to go from Sacramento out to Folsom. This is a point to point course got decently rained on while we were waiting. So, cause a lot of my throwaway clothes had gotten wet and I was cold for sure. Um, and it was a little bit stress inducing because, uh, there was really no organization. I love CIM as a race, by the way, highly recommend it. Did write this on my survey that they need to work on their organization of getting people on the buses because there was no one really directing people. And I think people were panicking because the line was so long that they were just jumping in and, and cutting the line and things like that. So once I got on the bus, I felt better. I felt, I was like, okay, we're going to make it to the starting line on time. Like we're good. So yeah, I mean, and really nothing Nothing about my pre-race felt anything different than normal, you know, jitters. You know, I always kind of like shake with nervousness a little bit. That's kind of normal for me and went and stood in the corral and just kind of appreciated that the year prior I had been back by the 310 group and was like longingly looking up at the three hour flag. Oh, maybe I'll be up there someday. And then it was just go time and, you know, the gun goes off and all there's left to do is run. And I felt good in the beginning. The beginning's got a good little downhill to it. I was running pretty much with this three-hour group, which, as I mentioned before, it's a big Boston qualifying time for the youngest group of males, and then it's a big barrier for a lot of women. So this group was massive. It was a stampede of runners, and I was, like, right in the middle of it. It was one of those situations where I was, like, really boxed in. Like, I couldn't – like, I looked around because I wanted to get out of it, and I kind of couldn't. But I was comfortable, like effort felt fine. Um, I really told myself to pay attention to my own rhythm, my own body, because sometimes there's a little bit of adjustment from the pacing groups in the beginning because they're like, oh, we're too slow, we're too fast, and they try to correct too fast um, or too quickly. So I um, you know, had went in with the mindset of doing that and just couldn't get out of the kind of pull of the group. 
That's really hard, Casey. Like that's something to mention. I mean, I've been in pace groups before trying to manage what times I wanted to do. And it is, it's, I find that sometimes it does create a lot of anxiety and fear. And then you start to look around and you're like, well, what are they doing? Well, what are they doing? And you're not Mm -hmm. necessarily able to focus on what you're doing. And sometimes you're completely fine and you can focus, but being in a pace group, especially that size can really impact you mentally. Yeah. You know, I don't love this thought for me, but I was like looking around at all the people I was running with and just all these dudes and like really fit women. Gosh, I don't belong here. I'm like, man, what am I doing? What am I doing up here? That self-talk girl. I know we're working on it. So I did have that thought, which I'm sure was not helpful, but I felt really good through seven or so. And then the effort kicked up a little bit faster than I wanted. And my brain started to kind of notice that. But then the big thing was that I started to have some uh, GI distress. I can't go in there and ask my intestines exactly what happened. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, they're not taking questions at this time. I don't know when they will. But I mean, I think it was all anxiety. Like, I don't think I ate anything I wasn't supposed to. I don't think that my, you know, bathroom rhythm was off that day. I think... I just got, yeah, some really angry intestines from being um, anxious. So all of a sudden, my mind was going to, okay, this race is going to get hard. I have the discomfort both of my legs and of my intestines. I'm going to keep it anatomical here. And I'm like, I don't know if I can manage both of these discomforts. So logically to me, I'm like, I trust my fitness. I'm going to go hit the porta potty. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to jump back in. I'm going to be good to go. I'm going to be okay. I'll catch up. I'm going to drop like, of course, I was hoping for 30 seconds, but that's unreasonably fast. I mean, Who not can Shalane. actually go I'm to not, the I'm not Shalane here do, doing her 17 second <laughs> porta potty stop in Boston 2018. <laughs> so I end up dropping a minute and I do feel better. Like I get back on there. I'm out of the pace group now. The air feels so much cooler because there's not so many people around me. And I was like, okay, maybe this is good. Maybe this is good. And I ran like two more miles at the pace I was supposed to run. And then I looked down on that third mile that I jumped back in and my watch said 6.57, um, which is not that far off. I just had this snap thought. I was like, I don't think today's the day. I don't think I can do it. It felt too hard for being at mile nine. This whole thing, like I'm sure it wasn't completely subconscious, but a lot of it felt subconscious. Like it just seemed to happen so fast and the decisions seemed to happen so fast. And there was just no... There's no recovering from it. No, there isn't. Once you let yourself go there, or once you've gone there, even if you didn't really mean to open the door, um, it's hard to come back from that. Yeah, and I think the porta potty stop was the beginning for sure. I feel like I mentally needed the break too, because I could feel myself worrying about the effort. So, I mean, this comes to the piece where I'm just really not proud of how I handled myself. Because, you know, physically, I didn't completely push myself. I didn't blow up physically. Like, I still was able to run, you know, 720s to 730s the rest of the race. Um, If I had really imploded, I would have been, like, completely jogging it in. But I I didn't. It was all just a mental decision at that point. By God, did I question everything in my entire life those last 10 miles. (laughs) I mean, I read some of your blogs, and, you know, I follow you. And we had a conversation when you got back. But... I think it's a common thing when you start doubting one area of your life, especially one that you put so much weight in to start doubting other areas. And I know that you wrote about how you doubted whether you should be a physical therapist. You doubted whether you should run anymore. You doubted where you belonged in the world. Should you move? Should you not live in Georgia anymore? 
yeah, complete escapism, thinking I just needed to start clean. Yeah, I just had to change everything because what I had wasn't working. What I had wasn't good enough. And of course, this is, you know, uh, mile 15 or 16 brain just going completely haywire. Um, But yeah, I was just like, I didn't realize how much I really depended on this marathon. I really didn't because I did put a lot into it. And, you know, you know that success isn't guaranteed and that the time isn't everything. But until I was kind of like staring down that barrel and realizing that just wasn't going to happen for me that day, I was questioning everything else in my life. Like, so it was just telling me that I didn't feel secure in other areas. And I was really depending on this marathon to hold that all up for me. I turned 30 this year or this past year, which is, I'm not saying it's, it's old. I'm not saying that it's just, it seems to be one of these milestones where I found myself reflecting very much on what I've done up to this point, where I want to go, what am I doing? Um, How do I spend my days? Right. Where do I spend my energy? You know, when everyone around you is married and having kids and buying houses and doing all the very typical societal grown up things, and you look at yourself and you're just, you know, it's like, okay, well, I run and I'm a physical therapist. And I love those two things. And I'm okay with those two things being the pillar of my life. But at the same time, no matter how comfortable you are with that choice, it can be still really hard and really psychologically confusing. I think that's the piece of it because I always know that I need to have a little bit more more balance from a you know a personal perspective outside of things I do right. So who am I as a person? <laughs> that's a really um, hard question to ask yourself. Yeah, and I talked to my therapist a couple of weeks ago. You know, we were talking about okay, who do you think you were in high school versus who do, who are you now? I talked a lot about characteristics of myself in high school, but when I talked about myself now, I was like, oh well. I'm a physical therapist and I have a dog and um, I run marathons <laughs> and, you know, I just started listening to things that I do. She's like, well, why didn't you say anything about who you are as a person? I said, well, because I'm probably about wrong. Like I could say something and other people be like, no, that's not who you are. <laughs> she obviously thought that was very funny because she didn't ask me what other people thought about me. She asked, what do you think about yourself? And it's just this dissonance between who I am internally versus externally. It's really, really hard. When you were going through this and right after the race, and then even up till now, I had a little PTSD from when I wasn't able to run anymore. And it's a different situation, but it's similar in that you put all your eggs in one basket and you believe that like you are a runner and what happens when you can't run anymore? What happens when you can't do the thing that you think defines you? And what is athletic identity and who are you as a person? What do you, how do you identify yourself? And I know for me, when I was going through everything and even sometimes still, you know, I would say, well, I'm a runner and I don't know what to do when I don't get up at 5 a.m. to go do a really hard workout. I don't know what to do when I don't eat to run. I don't know what I do when all my clothes aren't for running. Like, And all my friends, who do I talk to now? Because all my friends are runners. And so that was a huge thing that happened to me in that kind of transition of not being able to run anymore. And when you came back looking the way you looked and feeling the way that you felt, I just my heart just like sank in my chest. And I thought, Oh my God, she is so running is so much about who she is. And this goal in particular about who she is that she's going through that same thing in a different way. 
yeah, it very much felt like that. I'm glad we're recording this a couple of weeks out. Um, I think I just would have sobbed the entire time and that would have been the podcast. <laughs> Cause I did, yeah. I cried a lot. I cried so much. I don't remember the last time I cried that much. Running such a big part of my career too. It's kind of inescapable. I love it that way. And it's good when it's good, but it's bad when things aren't so good. So if yeah, you're injured and can't run or you do fall really short of a goal or something like that. One of the things that you talked about is that you were dreading seeing your patients because eight times a day, you would have to tell them that you didn't reach your goal. And every time you had to tell them when they came in looking really excited, couldn't wait to see you talk to you. Um, you had to tell the story again. And then, you know, telling the story, it changes, you know, a little bit every time we tell it. And, you know, I had a, a DNF for a marathon and went through that same thing with my patients. And I remembered like, I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to talk to patients. I didn't want to tell them that I failed at what I set out to do. And that's a really hard thing. And I, I think about it before every race. And, you know, I'd told so many people about this goal, like not that I was just running CIM, but I had this goal. I wanted to break three hours and that's what I was waking up every day working towards. And so everyone knew telling them that I had failed was like one of my worst fears going into the race because I just didn't want that to be the case. I didn't want that to be the story that I would write. But what and happened when you told people that? That's what I want to talk about. What happened when you told people you didn't reach your goal? Oh, man, my, my patients taught me so much that week. Um, and they always do. Uh, I think my patients teach me a lot more than I teach them. You know, it was just this perfect balance of, oh my gosh, that really sucks. Like, I get that. I understand. I'm not like, really, I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't that way. But look, you had such a great training cycle, you know, because they had listened, you know, and, and, always are asking, I don't talk about myself like all the time <laughs> when I'm treating, I promise. <laughs> but you know, they'd always ask how training was going and they're like, well, yeah, it sounds like you had a great training cycle. I'm sure your day's coming. You know, I'm so proud of you still. Like I, I really, you know, it still was a great time, but I'm, they all would say, I'm still really proud of you. I didn't think that people's ideas of me would change or that they wouldn't be proud of me, but to hear that was what I needed at the time. I would say every single patient said something to that effect, but also really understood how much it hurt. Um, yeah. And I think that's the big thing because there's a lot of people who are like, well, you still ran a great time, which I did. Uh, it was actually my second fastest marathon. Um, but what made it hurt so bad was that I just wasn't proud of how I handled it and just packed it in. I have the picture from Boston 2015 on my nightstand. And that's when I ran 316, which was kind of the marathon that made me think like, oh, I can... I think I can keep getting faster at this. And I happened to knock it over the other day and I, I picked it back up and there's, I'm like, it's one of the, my best finish line photos. I have my, like my arms up in the air and I just look so happy and satisfied. I ran a minute faster than I did that day this year, given all the walking and the crying and everything. And I was just thinking about that that contrast, you know, between those two experiences and, you know, how happy I would have been to run a minute faster than that at that point, you know, it's not exactly what happened, but it's how it happened. And for me to tell the story in full transparency, telling them that I basically gave up and for them to tell me that they were proud of me anyway, was really special. Yeah. I think it's incredibly special. So what do you think are your biggest learning points from this experience? I, I think I truly grasp this idea of, of chasing the, the feeling versus the time not just saying that there's 
find joy in the process, but to like actually believe it and, you know, realize that that's what's the most important. Just don't put so much pressure on yourself, man. Like, yeah. Just stop. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> just stop and stay tuned to how. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I haven't figured out everything and I have to come up with a, a good strategy for to work on this because it's like, this is my greatest, you know, passion in life. And for it to cause this much anxiety is just ridiculous. Not trying to make this sound eloquent at all. It's just stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't, this is not going to happen ever again. No, it's hard because you do, you put so much pressure on yourself before. And then if you don't reach the goal, then you're just devastated. And what it's now mid January and it's been a while. Yeah. And I, I think I get, I get too worried about what people might think, or I get a little too stuck. Cause I, I feel like I, and I think this is kind of unnecessarily. So I think I put a lot of um, pressure on myself to be a good example and to affect my world and my community and the people around me in a positive way. And I have to remember that, you know, very little of that has to do with results. Yeah. So I find that I was just so worried about, you know, failing from a time perspective, just because I had had this vision of who I should be instead of just listening to what I needed. Yeah. I think that's pretty great. Casey, I'm so appreciative for you sharing this story with us because so often we tell stories of big wins and things going right all the time. And, you know, we really look up to people when they break records, but often we don't look at all of the other things that go on behind the scenes, all of the failures that actually lead up to the win or the big event. And we don't really talk about all the dirty stuff, all the stuff that doesn't feel good and all the stuff that makes us uncomfortable. And I think doing that, it allows us to see the duality of what it's like to be human. And it allows us to really understand that, hey, we are human and we are not one thing. We are not a race. We are not a goal. We are so many of those things combined. And so for that, I'm so appreciative of you telling your story and being brave and and allowing it to be out in the world. Thank you for this space. It's helpful for me to talk through things as well. And it's always been important to me to share the in-betweens. I think we either hear about the bad thing that happened and then the lessons and everything good that happens that comes out of that. And we really miss this in-between period where, yeah, I'm like crying at work and I'm like just so mad at myself for how I you know, conducting myself on the race and then so mad at myself for it affecting, you know, effectively a month of my life. I think a lot of us go through that, but we don't talk about it. And so we feel alone um, when yeah. we do feel that way. As uncomfortable as this is, I'm excited. I did not cry. That's great. I think it's really important. Yeah, it is because you don't want to become isolated because you can't talk about it. Right. Which I did. I did that as well. Um, I, I know. All my friends. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kate knows. Friends, <laughs> friends know. I ignored a lot of text messages, didn't pick up some calls. It happens to the best of us. Yeah, it does. But you have to get through it and then just coming out on the other side and, and understanding kind of what happened and being able to work through that and those emotions is important. So yeah. thanks, Casey. Yeah, thanks, Kate. Thank you so much for listening today. We are so happy that you're here. If you enjoyed this conversation, share it with a friend. Even better, share it on social media because sharing is caring. And the more people we can reach, the better. Another way you can help us out is by leaving a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. 
So give us those five stars and tell us how awesome we are. Really, we love to hear how awesome we are. To support our work financially, you can also join our Patreon squad at patreon.com slash more than miles, uh, where for a few dollars a month, you can help us keep the show going and growing. This season is sponsored by Fast Bananas. Why buy multiple subscriptions made for everyone when you can have one specifically crafted for runners? Fast Bananas has online yoga classes, strength training programs, meditations, recipes, communities to ask questions, and so much more. Check out Fast Bananas at fastbananas.com or follow them on Instagram at fastbananasrun. Don't forget that training is so much more than miles. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.